Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, The Ultimate Hiring Guide for Sales Managers, How to Prepare, Screen, Interview, and Offer Employment to the Best Salespeople. Be sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod359. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am really excited to speak with today's guest. He's been a friend of CFS for quite a long time, and um, it's I guess I've been remiss in not having him on the show before now. He's the president and CEO at both Jay Shepard Associates and Daybreak Staffing, providing boutique uh, attorney and executive search services, really um, providing that, that Cadillac level service. He has extensive experience in business growth and leadership, and he's based here in New York City, um, where he's actually run the last seven New York City marathons. I will um, just not talk about my exercise routine with him. So welcome to the show, Jonathan Shepard. Thanks so much, Elizabeth. Great to be here. I'm so glad that you could join me, and I'd love if you could maybe introduce yourself a bit to our listeners. I just shared high-level bullets, but you're a lot more than that. So could you tell them a little bit about um, your story and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Uh, well, I, uh, I've been recruiting my entire adult life. I, uh, I started recruiting when I was 19 years old. I was hired on the beach in West Hampton by the owner of a recruiting <laughs> firm. He was the boss of a woman I was dating at that time. <laughs> and he thought I was a pretty outgoing guy and thought I could recruit, asked me if I had ever considered it, told him no. I figured what better place to look for a job than an employment agency or a recruiting firm. So I took the job, <laughs> uh, felt I had an aptitude for it, uh, spent the 80s working for that firm, spent the 90s working for a startup firm uh, in the recruiting space. And then in 2000, launched J. Shepard Associates and Daybreak Staffing, two full-service recruiting firms that service about 80% law firms. Mm -hmm. uh, the other 20% of our clients, uh, nonprofits and media and tech companies. We provide staffing and recruiting services for attorney and executive search through the J. Shepard Associates brand and support staff for law firms like legal mm -hmm. secretaries and paralegals through the daybreak staffing brand. That makes sense. It's, um, I, I love that origin story, very funny. I don't think many people have their girlfriend's dad um, give them their first job that, that stick with it for a long time. But um, regardless of anything else, you definitely, um, you, you got a lot out of that initial opportunity, so. Well, I joke with people, I joke with people, Elizabeth, I have no other skill set. You know, <laughs> I, I have many people who are in hiring positions who say to me, you know, what is your methodology like? And my methodology is just to talk to a lot of people and hope that timing and circumstance take care of everything else. That's, uh, that's a great approach. And that actually kind of leads to how I want to structure our conversation today. Because in my perspective, you have kind of two areas of expertise and a focus one is really around business development and one is around recruitment. And in a way, they're the same thing, right? You're, you're constantly developing and growing your business by, by recruiting, recruiting new clients and recruiting um, people to work for those clients. But I want to start with a, with a focus really on the business development side of things um, when it comes to growing business. Because in my conversations with you, 
what I hear is you have a strong kind of philosophy or approach to why people buy. And that leads the kinds of interactions you have. So could you share that with our listeners? Sure. Um, you know, I've come to learn through the years, why do people buy from you? Because they believe in you, they like you, they trust you. Uh, it doesn't matter what your good or service is. If you can get people to feeling as if that you can do those things um, that make their business stronger, then the fact they come to trust and like you uh, through that process really serves you as you make business happen. Um, I tell people all the time, business development is a continual thing. It's mm. interaction with every client, prospect, or individual that is really putting your brand out there. Yeah, I, I love that approach because, I mean, certainly there's a lot of mechanics, right? A lot of like best practices and steps that fall under it. But having an overall philosophy, an overall mindset that business development is relationships, business development is long term, it's constant, it's every interaction that you have, that is going to flavor the kinds of interactions that you have and the, the ways that you deal with people. And I would imagine, for example, if you're talking to somebody and they don't have a need right now, there's nothing you can do to help them right now, you're going to respond to that differently if you're focused on that long-term relationship on maintaining it than just disappointment that they're not a fit right now. Always, you know, you, and listen, we all get calls from people who want to close the sale right away. Mm -hmm. you know, I tell people the sale begins with no. Mm. And, it, you know, it's really about being in touch with people, um, being creating and, and nurturing relationships. Uh, I, I tell the story of how he had a, a number of um, people sitting in front of me a couple of years ago when we were redesigning our websites and they asked me uh, what our core philosophy was. If, so they could build the, the website that would drive all the traffic in the world to us. And I said, that's mm -hmm. easy. We're not in the staffing and recruiting business. We're in the relationship business. And if you have good relationships, timing and circumstance takes care of everything else. Now go build me two websites. And they did. <laughs> uh, but the point being is that it really is the overarching thing. The, the circumstance will come up and, and you know, it doesn't matter if it's what I do, what criteria for success does. Or, or any other company, it's it's in the moment when a company or a firm needs you, are you providing them with the stellar kind of service and approach to things that really enhances their brand? And if you can do that, then you're going to make the sale happen. Absolutely. And something that I would imagine comes up, um, at least in my experience with recruiting and, and working with clients who were who were working with a recruiter at the same time. Um, it can be a challenging <laughs> process finding the right candidate. Sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes you might place a candidate and then they don't work out. Maybe the firm decides it's not a good fit or maybe the employee leaves quickly. And I would imagine that your focus on relationship well, actually, I'll, I'll pose this as a question and said, what, how do you approach those situations with the concept that you have, with the approach that you have of really thinking about that long-term relationship? 
Well, I, uh, I approach it two ways. One, from certainly the prospective client side, um, but from the candidate side, it's really determining, you know, who that individual is and, and finding them the right environment. I had um, a senior HR director from an AMLAW 25 firm say to me a number of years ago, I promised I'd always give her credit for it. She said, we like working with you because you don't think outside the box. <laughs> inside the person and we need more of that mm. and i told her i said great line going on the website <laughs> said, definitely but it's kind of true if if you have a group or a department that a certain person or personality can fit into they're gonna it's gonna be a win for everybody they're supposed to know how to do the work they're supposed to be a subject matter expert you know whether it's attorneys that i place or salespeople that you guys try to help sell more, you know, sell more to their clients. If the individual is placed in the group setting and they can thrive because of who they are versus what the setting is, everybody wins. Absolutely. And, you know, what I find interesting about recruiting is it is probably one of the most clear kind of sales oriented functions that there is that people don't necessarily recognize because you're selling your services to a firm and saying, would you like me to work with you? Right. And, and hopefully hire me to find somebody for you. And then you're selling candidates to them. And to do that, you're, you need to find the right candidates and, and make sure that, that it's the right fit. But you're also selling that firm to the candidate. And so sure. there's, there's so many sales involved. And if you have that transactional mindset, if you have a short-term focus, that's going to be especially challenging. But but what I see is the big benefit of that that deep understanding of people that you're looking to grow and and learn is you you have a stable, I would imagine, of people that haven't been a right fit for a lot of different positions over the years. And something comes up and it's got a unique characteristic, and immediately somebody pops into your mind because you've taken the time to really learn them. And so you're not having to do a lot of selling, right? Instead, you're, you're just finding fit. And that's a lot easier than, than selling somebody on something is to present them with an option that just absolutely meets a need that they have. Yeah, it's very true. I, I, you know, I use the phrase, I'm telling the story. You know, I'm telling mm -hmm. the story of both the firm that's hiring someone and the story of the individual. You know, are they supposed to be a subject matter expert? Yeah. Is the firm supposed to give them the kind of platform for success they want? Yeah. But what are all the other intangibles? Those are the things that both hiring companies and firms look for. And now more and more individuals look for when they look for a new position. You know, they everybody wants to be happy. Mm -hmm. And that is something that you know, maybe for a generation ago, it was not really a high priority, but now it is. That is a perfect setup. Thank you for what I want to uh, focus on next, which is you, because of the, the space that you're in, need to really stay on top of the trends that are happening, both on the employer side and on the employee side and, and what it is that people value 
and what it is that employees are looking for, um, the different challenges that, that companies might be facing when it comes to hiring and engaging and keeping people happy and employed. And so I'd love to talk about some of the trends that you've been noticing, um, whether they're long-term trends that are, that are just continuing to grow or obviously the massive shakeup that's happened over the last few years. Well, it's really interesting. I, it's, it's a very interesting sociological study. And what I mean by that is I, I talk to people about the generationality of work. Mm. Now, for the first time in American business, you have four, almost five generations working together. You have the you know, people that are 75 years old and still highly productive. And then you have the baby boomers like me. Uh, you have Gen X folks. You have millennials. And now just coming out of school, the Gen Zers. Mm-hmm. Each one of those generations have a different, what I refer to as need set. Mm. You know, if you were a baby boomer and you did 30 years at a firm, you got your retirement package and you left. Now, if you're a millennial and you haven't had three jobs since you've been out of school, people want to know what's wrong with you. So from the, from the hiring perspective, things have changed. Um, on the candidate side, candidates now they really want to see that firms and companies align with their belief system. Mm. Uh, and, and that's beyond political. It, it's really about, you know, where they are in, in a certain point in their life. You know, for example, if you have millennials or Gen Xers that are new parents, well, they have one need set, right? They have a small family. They're trying to navigate all that. As those Gen Xers age into baby boomers, what are they thinking about? They're thinking about their aging parents and their kids going to college eventually. So they have a different need set than the others. And I talk to hiring partners at law firms and, and people in HR groups at larger companies and firms. And I tell them, if you can find the best of the best in all the generations and know what their need set is, and then align what, what you're doing with their need set, you're going to have the pick of top people across the generations. And it's challenging, you know, to get certain companies and firms to hear that um, because they say, well, we've been successful our way for a very long time. Mm-hmm. But to the point earlier, it's a different time now. COVID, all COVID did was speed things up by a few years. This was all moving in that direction. I joke with people, I can't talk to enough people under the age of 45 because those two generations get it. They know what they want work to look like from here on out. And the country's moving in that direction, you know, whether it's paternity leave or you'll start to see, you know, people talk about hybrid work now and all of that. You'll start to see companies giving people six weeks vacation, similar to what European firms do. Mm -hmm. They see that people can be productive from anywhere. And if that's the case, to get the best of the best, they have to adjust how they view what their employees should look like. Mm. There's there's so much there that, that I want to go back to. And I think the first thing that I want to just call out, because this is a huge culture shift. Law firms historically have been, I would say, traditional, like more slow moving yeah. in so many areas than a lot of other 
other parts of the business landscape, and also have has had historically some of the worst work-life balance. Yeah. Um, certainly, we all hear stories of like the really big law firms and people working, you know, 80, 90 hour weeks trying to make partner and never sleeping, never seeing their families if they have them. But some of those same characteristics applied in smaller firms as well. You know, people were rewarded for, and still are going to be rewarded for, for amount of billable hours, but there, there's a lot more than that. And it has historically provided a path of success for certain people on a certain life path and really not matching the needs of others. And so this, this push for change is a really significant divergence for I would imagine a lot of a lot of firms, but it's also a really significant opportunity to not just attract younger people, although it is, but to to really have a different mix of employees than you might have been able to attract in the past. Yeah, one hundred percent. You know, in twenty twenty, firms moved heaven and earth to make all their people productive remotely, and they did. And they all had banner years. This is mid and large size law firms. They, you know, the travel and expense piece went away. It was all pure profit. And then 2021 comes along and everybody was in a big rush to get people back to work. And the employees were like, well, last year when it worked for the firm, we did it. Now I want mm-hmm. it for me. You know, when you talk about work-life balance, I've been using a different phrase with people, Elizabeth, and that's work-life rhythm. Mm. There are people that are highly productive from five in the morning until 9 a.m. And then they want to take their kids to school. Mm -hmm. And then they want to come back and get back to the desk and get working. And yeah, they'll go into the office a couple of days a week, three days a week, whatever it happens to be. But they don't want to do it five days a week anymore. You know, people want to they want to put in the hours. I, I talk to younger attorneys, you know the two gen- two younger generations all the time about, you know, you guys figured out that you want to do good work. You want to work hard. You want to advance. But then you want to go home at night, you know, and you want to see your kids or you want to have a social life and all that. That's very unique. And when you're dealing with law firms who, you know, are run by people who are highly educated and they all think they're the smartest person in the room, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of a... a a shift that's, it's going to take a while. You know, you talk about slow change. I use phrases like, you know, firms, law firms move at a glacial pace. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to be the first. They all want to be the smart second. And at the end of the day, the ones who have leadership that sit around and say, you know, we've done it this way. We've been very successful, but we recognize moving forward that there's a new way forward. And we in who are in charge of the firm now are going to empower everyone mm. for that change. I had a young recruiter working for me before the pandemic hit who was advocating for a candidate. And she was giving me a laundry list of why the person was great for the job. And I looked her, we were standing face to face. Then I looked her in the eye and I said, sounds to me like you believe in her. And she said, well, well, yeah. And I leaned forward and I pointed my finger in her face and I said, I believe in you. And the smile that came upon this person's face, this empowering smile, was all you needed to know about how well she did her job from there on out. Mm. That's that's such a powerful story. And I think we can all 
either remember a situation where we experienced that level of empowerment mm -hmm. or where we were shut down when we were looking for that affirmation, looking for that support, that empowerment and how that can impact you in, are you, are you going to push hard in the future? Are you going to really advocate for things? Are you going to um, be willing to share your ideas? Maybe things that, that might be more outside the box than, than you're, than other people might be comfortable with. And if, if you get shut down a few times or even just once, that may make some people hesitant to bring up their ideas in future. And then you're missing out on yeah. a lot of opportunities, a lot of ideas that, that you could be benefiting from. 100%. And um, I, I love that you bring up the generations, but it, it doesn't sound to me that you're, you know, pathologizing any generation or saying they're all like this, but I'll say as I believe I am what's called an elder millennial or a geriatric millennial. Um, <laughs> I've seen that term. I'm like, that's a little, that's a bit much with parents who are baby boomers, right? I, I saw this in, in my own life where my dad hated his job and mm -hmm. so went to his job every single day and came home and was, you know, just happy to not be at work anymore. And you think of how many people did that for, for literally decades of their lives, just go to work, hate it. And, and all you think about is the paycheck. And this is one of those things that, as you said, it was already happening. You know, I could see this in a lot of people, my peers, um, and certainly people younger than me saying, I'm not going to do that. And, and, you know, Gen X often gets kind of erased or, or forgotten about, but I think they were the first real snapback from mm -hmm that, you know, the, the focus on authenticity, on not selling out, on really doing what you're passionate about. I think that really started to come to the fore with Gen X. And as you said, the the, the changes that happen, there, there are just certain ages of life that, you know, most people are going to be at certain stages within, within a decade, maybe range. And so you have a bunch of people and, and they're all around the stage that they're building families. And then you have some people in there, they're all at a stage where they've, they've got, you know, maybe aging parents and, and kids still at home and, and different complications there. And if you can think of those needs, but then also think of and, and know your team and know people at an individual basis, because everybody's different, um, you can really see how, you know, I love that example that you said, somebody who, who might be very productive and then take a break to take their kids to school and then be right back at work. And historically, that person might have thought, I can't have a job like this. I have to find a job that I can start at 10 a.m. Mm -hmm. so that I can get the kids to school and then get to work. And and the the world is really able to be opened up for a lot of people. And that can be male or female. You know, it doesn't have to be the, the mom in this situation. It's, it's whatever parent is involved. Um, but it's it's such an opportunity to really rethink what's what's necessary to get the job done. Well, and I, I agree 100%. And, you know, you, you think about like the what the pandemic drove. And now people are saying, well, you know, you started, we started this conversation with, oh, it's difficult to find good people and, and all of that. Well, if you're a baby boomer and you were traveling five days a week on a commuter rail to New York City, and then all of a sudden you were home for a year and you were highly productive and you got paid and all that, and then, you know, you have a chance to go back to work and you and your wife or husband sat down and said, you know what, we're coming up on 60 years old. 
our kids are in college, you know, or they're finished and one's getting married or, you know, our son or daughter had a baby in the Carolinas. You know, we're living on 20% less money. We could do that, maybe move to the Carolinas. So mm-hmm. all the people go out of the workforce, right? Then you have the Gen Xers who were the first group to kind of rebel at the status quo. And now they're sitting around going, well, the baby boomers held on to power too long. So now I don't have any power. And I have these millennials coming up behind me. What do I do? <laughs> what you ought to do is empower the millennials. Because if you do that, you'll ride the wave with them. And then if you're a millennial, even if you're a geriatric millennial like yourself, mm-hmm. you, know, you come up through the ranks and you say, well, what's different? What's different is everything. Mm-hmm. And if I have enough belief in myself, in my own development, right? My own personal brand of business development then I know I can be successful anywhere, no matter what my job is, you know, and what my calling is. And, you know, it's created a time of tremendous uncertainty for a lot of people, but I keep telling them, listen, come back to the core stuff, you know, health, family, roof over your head. If you manage all of that, the career stuff will take care of itself. Absolutely. And something that I'm hearing from you, and this again goes back to that principle of of focusing on relationships and and being a true partner. It sounds like you're providing a lot of this advice and this perspective to some leaders and partners at at your client firms and and just people in your network. And I would imagine that maybe people are are more open to listening to um, to some of the these ideas than they might've been in the past. Uh, some of them, and <laughs> some of them are still taught, stuck in a time where they know better. They've been successful to this point in their career. I, I recently closed out a search uh, for a client, a law firm, and we were talking in one breath about how many placements I had made at the firm in the last five years. And they were very happy about all of them. And then we got to talking about this partner that was going to be hopefully joining the firm. And we were going back and forth on things. And I finally said, you know, you just said to me how great a job I've been doing for the firm. If that's the case, you need to listen to me. Mm. And that's a hard thing to get a buyer in any circumstance. And you guys know it at Criteria for Success. It's like, you know, the things that you guys can do to help salespeople sell better, sell more, all of that. Not everybody buys into that from the get-go, and they have varying degrees of success with you guys. It's no different in my world. You know, I I tend to work best uh, with firms that can see that change is going to happen regardless of what they think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's such a great point, and it is. You know, there, there's only so much that you can do if somebody isn't willing to to learn and to grow and to change. And it is so incredibly frustrating when you see potential for a company, for an organization, for an individual that they don't see for themselves or they're not willing to pursue. But um, you can't just kind of continue, you know, beating your head against that wall. Eventually, you just sometimes have to figure out, you know, either somebody isn't going to be a, a prospective client that makes sense for you, or you can you can provide them the service that they're looking for, even if it's not the service that you, you know they will need that would be best for them. And and sometimes you're still able to provide some level of help and and support, you know, filling some positions for them, even if they're not necessarily 
going big picture in the direction that that could be best? Sure. I find the biggest enemy of business development is the status quo. Mm. Absolutely. So many people think that that when they're, you know, when they're competing, that they're competing against other firms, you know, other people in their space. But the the first level of competing that you're competing against is not changing from whatever they're doing right now. And um, there is such a powerful weight to status quo. There's such motivation, whether it's known or, or subconscious, to not deal with the the discomfort that happens when you change. But if you can push through that, it's amazing how often even the people who felt like, you know, I'm making this change for other people, the, the decision maker finds that they're more they're happier and they're more comfortable in the new environment as well, right? It's not like we're talking about leaders sacrificing and making their lives terrible for those over-demanding employees, <laughs> but instead it really is is a balance, is a, is a, a people-first kind of approach that is beneficial really to everybody on the team. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, it's very true. Competition happens in a lot of ways, both externally and internally. You know, I... I've had uh, a management committee ask me recently, you know, who my biggest competitors are. And I said, I only compete against myself (laughs) because I'm constantly looking at the way I do my job and trying to improve it or trying to change it, you know, you know, to make it fresh, you know, or whatever. And, and it's the same thing with, with companies and firms that compete against others in various spaces. You know, yes, you've had success. But how do you build on that? How do you make yourself a little uncomfortable, you know, to, you know, go after that piece of business that you wouldn't normally go after or go to that roundtable discussion that you wouldn't normally attend or whatever it might be? Because if you do those things outside your comfort zone, you'll eventually find a whole new zone. Absolutely. And it's. You know, I just I just want to go back to this is this is so important. I want to make sure people are really thinking about this is when you have employees who are saying you made these changes in 2020 to support the business and now you're not willing to make changes to support what I need and what I want. What you're telling them is we don't care about you. (laughs) You're less important than than the overall business need. And it's it's kind of like. You know, if you give people a taste of something, they they might learn to love it and really decide that that it's something that they don't want to go without in future. And so, as you said, there was there, there was a massive acceleration of a trend that was already starting, but it's it's like when the world changes and something now becomes the cost of doing business as opposed to a nice perk. And there have been companies for a while now who have provided a really nice employee experience and really met the needs and the wants of their team and made it a, a comfortable and a, and a an easy place to work where they, they provided a level of flexibility. They provided a, a structure that allowed people to, to live their lives and, and have a right rhythm of work life. I, I really like that phrase that you used. And it used to just be you know, some people did it and it was a nice to have. And now it's it's becoming a necessity. And to me, that's 
that's just a natural shift in business. Maybe it happened a little faster than some people thought it would, but it, it would have been coming in the next five, 10 years anyway. It, it's a shift that the baby boomers are uncomfortable with, but the Gen Xers see coming. Mm-hmm. That's really the, the little gen, the intergenerational mix of that is one of the most fascinating things right now, because there are people that understand it. They simply don't want to change it because they're five years away from ending their career. And they're like, you know what? Let the next generation do that. You know, I'll, you know, I'll sit here in my office, do my thing, and then let somebody else worry about it. And that's all well and good. But then if you don't empower those Gen Xers to change the world, your, your firm is going to get outcompeted. And, you know, to your point earlier about some things that were perks that are now considered gay or gare, you know, if, if you don't have it, Another firm will. You're getting Absolutely. Get you know, it's just that's simple as that. Yep. And it's it's not um, it's so much easier now for people to work for firms, you know, on the other side of the country, the other side of the world. Um, you might think, well, I've got a monopoly in my geographical area and I'm the only firm of my type. I'm the only employer who could be hiring these kinds of people with this background, with this level of experience. So they'll have to deal with whatever situation I'm willing to provide. But that's not at all the case anymore. And, um, you know, you have people moving somewhere, living on the beach and working for a firm in Omaha, Nebraska, and <laughs> that's perfectly fine. And, and they're comfortable with that. And the, the firm is getting what they want out of it. And now that so many employees see this as a possibility, that monopoly that might have happened geographically in the past is really diminished. And um, you're now competing against not just your peer companies in your region, you're literally competing with every potential company that could hire this person in the entire world. No pressure. Um, but um, you are, and, and what you're really competing against is the job description. Mm-hmm. The job description will determine where and how you can house a particular person. You'll find the people. It's a question of, can you adjust your environment to accommodate the people? There are, you know, people that are working remotely. There are people that are interested in hybrid. There are people that want to go to an office five days a week, you know, especially in the law firm setting, if you're a junior attorney. Mm-hmm. You, know, you want some training and mentoring, but if the people that are supposed to be there training and mentoring are you laying on the beach somewhere, it doesn't do you any good. Mm-hmm. So those are all things that people have to navigate at the moment. And, uh, you know, the, the way that you look at candidates has to change because you're not going to have 15 to 30 years of time with someone. What you should be thinking about is how do I get five solid years out of somebody and then what am I doing to back up that person? Absolutely. And the the benefit that I think a lot of employers might not be thinking about, but but as a real opportunity is if you provide a good space for somebody for, you know, maybe the first five years of their career and they look back on your firm fondly, they feel that you made a significant impact to them and their development. Mm-hmm. 
maybe they come back in five more years. Maybe they send you candidates. Certainly they're going to be saying good things about you in, in terms of other people that they're interacting with and, and um, the rest of their career. And it's never a bad thing to have a whole big network of people out there who like you and value you and, and really believe in what it is that you do, some of whom know that because literally they were working for you. So it's it's never fun to feel like, you know, I put a lot of time and effort into somebody and they're going to take those skills and bring them somewhere else. But it, it's not zero sum like that. There's still a, a, a value that you've gotten in terms of your relationship with that person. Well, and you're, again, it goes back to the development of your own of your own business brand and using that in your business development as you seek out clients, you know, for whatever business you do, uh, and people understand that over time. You know, I one of the things I, that I was thinking through and prepping for this conversation with you was, you know, what, what's really the secret sauce of, of people being happy with the experience they have at your business, and then even when they move on. And I was reminded of a story of a, uh, a search I was engaged with for a law firm who lost out on a candidate. Uh, was a cyber attorney and the magic partner of the firm said to me, you know, why did we come second? And I said, well, that's easy. I said, you shook his hand, but you didn't wrap your arms around him. Mm. You didn't him feel like you wanted him to be a part of the success here at the firm. So he chose the other firm that made him feel that way. And I was told they'll never make that mistake again. And they have not. Mm. So when you get candidates in the pipeline, if, if you have somebody in Nebraska who's you know working for a company on the east or west coast, or you have somebody working elsewhere or working here in the New York area for a company that's based in California, you want to make them feel like a part of things. And in the time of Zoom and, and all the stuff that we're dealing with now, there are still some best practices that you can have to make people feel a part of things. That helps your sales effort. That helps your business development effort. And it helps your professional development of your employees. It's a whole. Absolutely. Um, and this is where I think a lot of companies can learn from businesses who had a lot of employees, you know, across the country uh, distributed before. And, and we're already dealing with this. And, you know, I, I always think back fondly to a client that we had based in Chicago. And there were a decent percentage of their employees based in the Chicago office, but they also spent a lot of time on site with their clients. They did consulting work, but they had almost half of their team remote. And what they did is every single month, they had kind of an optional get together at the company where they'd celebrate some things, share some news. Most people would come in person, but you could join remotely. And then quarterly, they had a more mandatory, everybody comes in person. And providing those opportunities. You know, even um, us at CFS, we're, we're fully remote now. So we make an effort to get together in person once a month, just, you know, grab dinner, do something fun. Around my birthday, we did an escape room. That was lots of fun. We, we made it out. <laughs> so it's always uh, just finding those those connection points and, and learning from what works. And this is a great conversation to have you know, with your peers, with the people in your network and, and asking your employees, what would make you feel connected? Because it certainly used to be that if you were doing a, a training or a meeting, an event of some sort, and you had eight people in the room and two people remote, the remote people really got the short end of the stick. 
a lot of times they were just kind of the oops we forgot do you have any questions you know um right. oh yeah we've got we've got you on the phone <laughs> um any anything you want to add and now that we've spent you know a few years having everybody <laughs> or just about everybody remote how can we take some of those best practices and and really bring those forward and and hopefully people have really taken the time to think about that because um it's you know you want to provide somebody with an experience that that is what you want, you know, that's intentional, whether yeah. they're working remotely or in the office. Well, you use an interesting word, Elizabeth, intentional, right? Mm -hmm. You know, all of these things are intentional. They don't happen by circumstance. And, you know, one of the most recent uh, examples somebody gave me was a law firm client of mine did a wine tasting, okay? Mm. They sent 85 employees the same bottle of wine. Hmm. And then they did it over Zoom. And, awesome. And the feedback was, you know, listen, I don't drink that wine, but boy, I really appreciated the idea. Yeah. The idea. It's like, it's like this firm is trying to make me feel a part of things because that's all people want right now. If if somebody comes to you and expects you, you know, to have all the answers to their happiness, that's not reality right now. Mm -hmm. it's not ever, but more so now than ever, it, it's really about, are they trying? Are they trying to make you feel like you used to feel when you were on site all the time? And if they are, those are people you want to work for. Why? Because they have a good heart. They're mm -hmm. at least thinking these things through. Absolutely. It doesn't all need to hit perfectly, but you know, it, this is a, this is a place where you can get that A for effort. And certainly if you're consistently doing things and people don't like them that you want to figure out, you know, let's, let's, let's come up with a better list, but um, not everything is going to be perfect for everybody. But if overall, most people are able to, to benefit from something that you're doing and, you know, half or, or whatever of the, of the things are fun for everybody. That's, that's a great, success to look for. And there, there's always going to be somebody who, you know, I, I think to all the times that I've been with clients who've done team building and, you know, you, you decide you're going to do baseball and somebody's like, I hate baseball. It's my least favorite thing. Well, you can hang out in the clubhouse and be chatting with your coworkers and laughing at them and cheering people on, um, even if you're not one of the ones playing baseball or, or you're physically unable to do it. I've got a bad knee that would not work so well. So it's, it's making sure that that you're taking people into account. And, you know, as you said, that, that word intention is really important. And it's, it's, and it, and it is the experience, you know, we do, um, uh, we do a lot of charitable stuff. I sit on the board of Goodwill Industries in New York and we do, we've done some days of service for New York care. It's kind of refurbishing a park and all of that. And people like to just come and hang out and mm -hmm. just, you know, like they don't necessarily have to dig in the dirt and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and it's so important to include them. And make them feel, you know, again, make them feel like a part of things. You know, uh, it's very interesting to watch a lot of companies and firms stumble during this time. But the ones that are trying, even though they're stumbling, those are the ones that are, are being effective. And, you know, if, if it impacts your internal employees, it impacts your business development. Because then they're going out and telling clients not only the good or service that you provide is top flight, but the manner in which you provide it is top flight. Absolutely. And I, I really love that example because there's certainly the the silly, the fun things that you can do together as a firm, but there is a, a real 
feeling of togetherness that happens when people are coming together to make a positive impact in the community. And if you can provide some of those opportunities for the team, that's that's a real benefit um, in, in so many more ways than just the the result that you're producing on the charity side or just the the benefit that employees are feeling. That's a that's a real um, it's a it's a real benefit to the, you know, your company as a whole in in just how you are in the community. For sure. For sure. All right. I'm looking at the clock and realize that we need to start winding things down a little bit. So a question I always like to ask our guests is, do you have any resources that you would recommend to our listeners? These can be books or, or talks or um, other information that you found valuable over the course of your career or something that you're really focused on right now. Uh, I, I tend to um, read a lot of articles online across a variety of platforms. Um, Inc. Magazine, certainly the Wall Street Journal, uh, uh, the AMLAW uh, 200 notices that come out. Mm. And then I try to kind of take a look at things that are outside of the business space. You know, things like um, cooking recipes and stuff like that, just on how to put things together. You look at a video and somebody's telling you how to make a certain dish, but the manner in which they go about it, you may pick up one or two things there. And I tell everyone, you know, in order to round out your business career, if you're open to taking suggestions from arenas that are outside of your business career, you'll find a very interesting segue into your business career. Mm. A lot of people do it with sports, you know, team yep. sports and stuff like that. So for me, you know, it's just be a sponge, be out there, you know, believing what you believe and try to find things that kind of speak to me individually, you know, on our our weekly blog will we'll do stuff that's like 5,000 foot level of, of trends in the marketplace, but then we'll also advocate for other businesses we know or other charities I'm involved with because mm-hmm. you want to be re- well-rounded. You don't want to get all your sources from one. So I would suggest anybody just be an open, be an open book and be a sponge. Absolutely. I really love that example because so often – I've heard people feel pressure, you know, I should be reading business books exclusively. I should spend all of my time listening to, you know, business only podcasts. And you get stale, you get kind of bored, your your brain gets full of the same thing over and over and over again. Eventually, it starts all sounding the same. And it's amazing how you can be inspired by something completely different. And just have a new fresh perspective on something. So really following, following your individual interests and callings and passions um, is, is always going to pay off in terms of even if it's just providing you with um, with relief and refreshment and and you're able to come back to things with a with a fresh perspective and kind of you know cleaned out that's still a, a benefit even if you didn't necessarily get an idea that you can apply yeah be yourself you know I I, um, I tell people all the time I I worked for somebody when I first started out and he used to say, go out and make a friend today. Mm-hmm. You know, like don't try to be everything to everyone, just be yourself and try to find enough people that like that person, you know, yeah. that, and if you do that in how you consume information in your career, you'll have a lot, you, you'll be surprised at how much comes to you, you know, and it comes to you in the way of information. It also comes to you in the way of relationships. Absolutely. Um, so if listeners want to learn more about you and your work, where can they find you, John? Uh, they could 
uh, go to our websites, uh, jshepherdassociates.com or daybreakstaffing.com. They can email me directly at jshepherd at jshepherdassociates.com. Glad to talk with them. And I uh, really appreciate the time today, Elizabeth. Absolutely. Thank you so, so much for speaking with me today, Jonathan. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Same here. Have a great day. You too. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 359. If you enjoyed the show, please recommend us to a friend. That's the best way to help more people discover it. And if you haven't subscribed, do that so you get every new episode as soon as it goes up. You can subscribe for free wherever you're listening. We love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts or email us if you've got direct feedback, if you've got questions, suggested topics that we should cover or guests we should speak to, podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ryland Sylvester. Happy selling!